We're reading Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may be seated. Psalm 33, I'd like to begin there. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. All his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke... And it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed, verse 12, is the nation whose God is the Lord The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. 
A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death. And to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. To join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. I thank you for this word here in Psalm 33. I thank you that you've made your word available to us. We praise you this morning for revealing yourself to us, showing us how to walk and instructing our steps. Your word is a light for our path and a lamp showing us where to go. Your word is a discerning word, cutting deeply within and penetrating to our inner depths. And Lord, I pray as we go to the polls this Tuesday to vote, I pray that we take with us a knowledge of your word. Before we vote, Lord, my prayer is that this people would pray. And after we vote, Lord, my prayer is that this people would continue to pray. Leaders at all levels need our prayers. And Lord, help us to be a praying people in this regard. Our country in many ways has neglected you. Our country in many ways has forgotten your words. Save us, Lord, from the downward spiral that's upon us. Draw us back to you. For you alone are the only one who can change the course of this nation. We thank you, Lord, for the direction that you give. May this people here rely upon your truth. Not just leading up to Tuesday, but each day of their lives. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I'm praying that this nation, Father, can once again become a blessing to you. Continue to work in us and call us back to the old paths, trusting in you with all of our hearts. I believe that you have revealed to us, Father, a point of emphasis in this year's election. Help us, Lord, to see what's at stake. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us do. For your name's sake, we pray these things. Amen. On Tuesday, many in the United States of America will go to the polls and vote. One of the most talked about controversial presidential elections 
will finally come to an end, at least the election portion will come to an end. And at the end of the day, a successor to President Obama will most likely be announced. Will it be Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton or Republican candidate Donald Trump? Time will tell who the 45th president of these United States of America will be. We've gathered here together as God's people to worship the Lord. And some might wonder, what's the big deal about Tuesday's elections? Why are we spending time now talking politics on Sunday morning? After all, we're followers of Jesus and and life is going to go on regardless of who wins the presidential race. While a measure of that may be true, Tuesday's elections matter a great deal. Not only for us here today, but for the generations that follow in our steps as well. The next leaders of this nation, this state, your local precincts where you live, these are the people being voted into office. You know, change is oftentimes a word that's used nowadays at the time of election. Change is is a buzzword. but, But change typically results when transition takes place in leadership. A new leader. A new cabinet, new teams of leadership will be put together. Appointments of other leadership positions will flow outward from those who get elected this Tuesday. Your vote does matter. America provides its citizens the privilege and opportunity to have a voice. Think about it. The number that I heard from our country's last presidential election, it was a staggering number. And you know, you you hear these numbers and you read statistics and they are what they are sometimes, but this one jumped off the page. 33 million Christians didn't vote in last, last four years ago, the last election. 33 million How does that happen? The voice of 33 million Christians was silenced last time around. What might change if these 33 million vote this coming Tuesday? And my prayer is that Christians will voice their vote this coming week. You see, because we live in a day when the Christian vote needs to be heard, but perhaps far more significant than that, the Christian life needs to be lived out. The Christian life needs to be voiced. We need to translate the voice heard in the voting booth to the voice proclaimed in our daily lives, church. 
Casting a vote is good and necessary, but living a life that overflows with the love of Jesus, that's walking worthy of the calling that we've been given as followers of Jesus Christ. God has ordained three particular institutions, has He not? Marriage, we could couple family in there with that. The church and the civil government. Tuesday may specifically highlight the civil government. But please don't think for a moment that your family and the church of Jesus Christ will go unaffected by the results of Tuesday's election. We're spending some time today talking about the elections in this country, holding fast and holding forth the Word of God as our gauge of truth. We're spending time talking about this because the elections, the selecting of our leaders in this nation, we need to understand government has been set in place by God himself. Order, structure, law, morality, truth. See, God cares about how his people are led. He cares about the leaders that are in place. And he cares about his people under their care. So please remember that what we're talking about today falls under the umbrella of God's jurisdiction, as we were talking earlier with a group of men. There's not an area of our life that doesn't fall under His jurisdiction. He reigns supreme. Amen? He's over all. And for the church to remain silent about something God set in motion, shame on us. Civil government leaders need our prayers. The Word calls us to be in prayer for them. Whether your particular candidate wins or not this Tuesday, you need to be in prayer. Our job is to pray and vote and pray some more. Pray without ceasing. Pray that God will work in and through these leaders. Pray that these leaders will come to understand the importance of ruling under Almighty God. That they will come to see that their leadership positions have been granted to them by God Himself. God has placed them in these positions of authority. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 13. God's people ought to be a praying people. And we're going to do that before we leave today. We're going to pray. We're going to cry out for God to do the work that only He can do. And we're going to seek His face on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our state, on behalf of our local communities. 
The prelude to the presidential elections. How many of you watched any of the three presidential debates? Anybody watch one or, or two or all three or snippets of any of them? Any of you get a chance to watch the vice presidential debate? Okay. So some of you have a little bit of a context there in terms of the debates, the prelude to the election. One common theme in all these debates, one would speak about, let's say, national defense, just to put a subject out there on the table. And before this person would come to a finish, the other candidate would interrupt, espousing a different view or correcting what was just spoken. Argument was the theme. Disagreement. Mudslinging, some would call it. Candidates shaking their heads in disgust and unbelief at what the other had spoken. The debates seemed like an endless display of both parties trying to set the record straight for the audience. I'm right and you're wrong. And the one over here, I'm right, no, 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 and you're wrong. And back and forth, it would go. And you watch these debates, and you, and you can't help but think to yourself, who's telling the truth here? How do I know who's telling the truth? Every time they debate an issue, they both contradict each other. Someone has to be telling the truth. Someone has to be lying. Are they both lying? Is anyone telling the truth? How do we really know the right story? Who's telling the truth? I love the words of uh, Donna Lee Tony in her excerpt from the September 2016 edition of uh, Decision Magazine put out by the Billy Graham Crusade folks. She said this, listen, she said the only search engine that can bring clarity to the truth versus lie debate is God's word. He has given us the engine of truth. Not to browse, but to study. Its power is demonstrated in clarifying fact versus fiction. That's what God's word of truth does. In fact, Jesus himself, it's important that as a follower of Jesus, we know these words of Jesus. Jesus, in a prayer to his Father, before he goes to the cross, he prays, Father, sanctify them, my followers, those who are following you, sanctify them by the truth. And then Jesus goes on and defines for us what that truth is. He says, your word is truth. It's John 17, 17, by the way. How many here adhere to God's word being truth? The truth. I'm hoping that as I'm speaking this morning, a large majority, if not all of you, would shake your head and say, yes, God's word is truth. I believe it with all of my heart. 
if God's word is truth, how does that connect to the candidates up for election and our decision making when it comes time to vote? more than likely comes as no surprise to you that this is going to be a difficult presidential election to vote in because of truth. Character and integrity don't seem to be high mark qualities of either candidate. How do you vote when there seems to be a vacuum in the arena of character. When a candidate's reputation is suspect and his track record tarnished by words spoken or deeds done, or when a pattern of lies litters the pathway of one's past, it's difficult to vote for either choice. But listen, please don't let the difficulty level deter you from your voice being heard. Some are going to be so fed up with this political process that they're going to choose to stay home on Tuesday. The decision to not vote is their reply to the choices on the ballot. I don't care for either one of them, therefore I'm not voting. It's important we don't stop with the who question. If the church of Jesus Christ stops at the who question, it would be easy to get discouraged in this election. You see, the who question queries the candidate's character and integrity. What kind of person are they? Are they capable of leading the nation over the next four years? Has their life reflected a standard of uprightness and morality? I don't believe I need to answer the questions for you this morning. One can easily get bogged down in the who. But I'd like to encourage you this morning to have you think about how insignificant it is that we move forward and move on to the what. What's at stake with this year's election? What's at stake? What trajectory will this country take if Mrs. Clinton wins? What trajectory will this country take if Mr. Trump gets elected? What's at stake? Every year we begin a new season of refereeing. We're we're given by the folks who are in charge. They pass down what they call points of emphases for the new refereeing season. Last year, I think there were five or six. This year, same number, right around five. Usually every year there's three to five points of emphasis that they are wanting all officials all across the country to emphasize from an officiating standpoint. One of the things, one of the mandates over the last year or two that they've been emphasizing is cleaning up the physicality of the game. The game's too physical. The game's too rough. They want to clean the game up. 
And so two biggies this year are post-play. Post-play happens right here in the paint, oftentimes where the big, big guys are. And, and it's too physical, and they want to clean this area up. They also want to clean up rebounding. Rebounding has become too physical. Too many bodies laying on each other, pushing each other, shoving each other. We want to clean it up. Get a foul. Those are the points of emphasis. On Tuesday, I want you to know that there's more than the who question. There's a giant what question that we all need to be asking as well. What's at stake in this election? What's at stake right now and for the generations to come? What are you voting for? And with God's word as our gauge of truth, I'd like to submit not three, not four, not five points of emphases. I'd like to submit one point of emphasis this morning. A one-point sermon. Some of you are going, fantastic! One-point sermon! That's what it is. One emphasis. I just want to give you one. This point of emphasis will prove helpful for intentionally leveraging your vote and sounding your voice for the Lord's sake. Here's the point of emphasis. It's the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. As many of you know, the ninth judge on the Supreme Court has been absent since the passing of Justice Scalia this year. That vacancy will be filled with the election of the next president. The president is charged with appointing the Supreme Court justices. So what you are voting for is a candidate who's going to be involved in the selection of a judge to the Supreme Court. No small decision. Especially when you consider some of the decisions that have come from this high court over the past several years. Having the right judges on the bench of the highest court in the nation is critical to the direction of future generations, friends. We think a 5-4 decision in the Hodges-Obersfeld case was a detriment to marriage. Consider for a moment what it means for a president to appoint judges to the Supreme Court. From what I read, there's a real possibility of the incoming president appointing up to four judges in these next few years. In a wonderful article titled, Two Visions, Two Americas, Pastor David Jeremiah, some of you are familiar with Pastor David Jeremiah, he's quoted in the article speaking specifically to the importance of the Supreme Court in this year's election. He says the next president will select between two and four justices who will reign over the cultural issues of the nation for the next 30 years. Listen to what he says. He says, the average Supreme Court judge serves 26 years. Let that soak in for just a moment. 
The average length of time for a Supreme Court justice, 26 years. In the next 30 years, he goes on and says, what happens in this election is going to have an incredible impact on my children and grandchildren. And the impact will be most likely felt more because of what happens in the Supreme Court than in anything else that happens in the government. End quote. So one of the emphases, perhaps the greatest point of emphasis in this election, is the Supreme Court justices yet to be appointed. The president appoints these justices into position. And if you've heard any of the debates, that's why I asked the question earlier. The candidates were not silent on the people they were going to appoint as justice of the Supreme Court. I think it's important that you know and you recognize and you realize this. Mr. Trump said that he had already selected 20 judges, potential candidates, to fill this vacancy that's current. 20 highly thought of people, conservative in nature. He went on to say how the judge he would appoint would hold to the constitution of the land. Went on to say, judging based on the intent of the original signers. I about fell out of my chair. For me, as I listened, I was ready after the first question just to turn the TV off. That answered my question. In large part, answered my question. He voiced a desire to appoint a replacement in the mold of the recently passed Justice Scalia. Mrs. Clinton also shared the kind of judge she would appoint should she become president. She expressed her desire to have someone who would uphold Roe versus Wade. She wants to appoint someone who will uphold marriage equality. And her desire is to appoint a replacement in the mold of current justice, Sonia Sotomayor. That's what they both said. It's important that we all know what they said about this. This is a point of emphasis in the coming election. The Constitution is expressed by Mr. Trump as a document to be upheld yet today. There's an assumption that a, a Supreme Court justice rules on the laws in place and doesn't make policy or laws as part of the judiciary. It rules on the laws in place. Constitution language, as promoted by Mrs. Clinton, is deemed more of a, a free-flowing, evolving document with time. The times have changed, and the Constitution needs to adapt to the times that we live in. Now, the terms that are being expressed by both candidates are glaringly different. And you need to know that. The Supreme Court is the point of emphasis in this year's election. You need to know the impact 
of the Supreme Court in the land. And you need to realize that the next president will most likely be appointing multiple justices, perhaps appointing four of the nine justices in the Supreme Court over the next four-year term. Four of the nine. Perhaps. Kathy Ruse, in her article, A Supreme Decision, she says, by the end of the next president's term, Five justices will be over 70 years old. Three will be in their 80s. God's word is truth. So what does God have to say about the kind of people judging over nations? Anything in here about what God thinks of rulers and judges? Does God speak to any of that? I think sometimes we get so focused upon what certain candidates have to say, we fail to remember and we fail to inquire, we fail to open the word to see what God has to say. Friends, he's got a lot to say about the very thing we're talking about. Exodus 18, you remember the story, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, give some great input on how to go about judging the nation. The context is how to judge the nation. And Moses had been doing it by himself, and Jethro tells him that he's going to wear himself out. And he says this in Exodus 18, you shall select from all the people, notice the kind of people Jethro tells Moses he needs to have in place. You shall select from all the people able men, Able men, men of virtue, men of strength, men of valor. Such as fear God. Men of truth. Hating covetousness. Those are the qualities. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, 18 through 20. There's a section in there about appointing judges and officers in the land. It says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, and they shall judge the people, how? With just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality and take a bribe. You shall follow what is altogether just. Why? That you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Psalm 2 instructs the kings and the judges. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with what? With fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Listen, the the point of emphasis in this year's election is the Supreme Court. It's not only the number of appointments that potentially could be added during this four-year term, but the impact of these appointments will be felt over the next seven-plus terms. That's a long time, friends. The average justice serving 26 years 
and perhaps up to four justices will be added in those years? Whatever you might think about the current Supreme Court, consider what the addition of four constitution-oriented appointees might look like. Consider also what four more Roe versus Wade justices would do. Consider what four more marriage equality justices will do to the Supreme Court over these next several years. What flows out of this point of emphasis, many other hot-button issues of our day, marriage, freedom of religion, sanctity of life, human rights, homeland security issues, military and defense, what decisions are going to be made about ISIS, what are we going to do, what actions are we going to take as a country. The ruling, the people that are ruling on the biggest issues of our day are the justices of the Supreme Court. Do you think it matters who gets appointed? Absolutely does. The two candidates have clearly identified the kind of Supreme Court justices they will appoint. They have clearly identified who they are going to appoint. There's not guesswork here on this. They have voiced for all to hear the direction they want the Supreme Court to go in. Here's the question. Which of the candidates' views in this regard aligns most with the Word of God? Which candidate is going to appoint a justice that will adhere most closely to the truth of God's Word? See, when you get past the who question... You move to the what question. And when you begin to ask what's at stake, you see this gigantic point of emphasis staring you right in the face. It's hard to get around it. The impact of the Supreme Court in this land is large. And nine people make up the Supreme Court. One is going to be added immediately by the next president. Another one, two, or three will be appointed most likely over the next four years. The kinds of people appointed to the Supreme Court will either provide for freedom of religion or squash it out. We think it's bad now. It's not going to get better if the wrong people are appointed. We think marriage and family has gotten bad. Add another group of marriage equality justices and things have now gone from bad to worse. Many of us in here know what God has to say about the sanctity of life. He upholds life. He's the one who created life. He he made it possible for us to have breath and have being. He's the creator. We're aware of what God says in His Word about marriage and family. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. It's His original institution. He brought the woman to the man. Let not man separate. He he created 
We talk about human rights. People crying out for rights of this and that. And He created them. Listen, listen. The Bible says God created them male and female. God's the one who set up marriage and family. God's the one who established gender. He did that. God's word is truth. He defines what truth is. And what he's already defined, we as a people have no business meddling in. This country is in grave danger politically, morally, and most importantly, spiritually. We've become in many regards a spiritually bankrupt nation. We've neglected our great God and Savior. We've rebelled against Him. We've turned our backs on His leadership. We have hidden the book of truth. I'm reminded of the days of Josiah when they, you know, they discovered the book of the law. Remember that? It had been, it'd been missing. I think in some ways it's missing today. It's missing in action. We've placed it to the side, out of sight, out of mind. And we, we truly like operating. It's sort of interesting that this is found in the book of Judges. Everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. It's in there twice in the book of Judges, that phrase. That was the way people operated during that day. Everyone doing what was right in his own eyes. Know that when you vote this Tuesday... You are voting for people deemed God's ministers. According to Romans 13. Regardless of the outcome this week, here's what we know to be true from God's word. In chapter 13, verse 1 of Romans, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It's important we understand that. Paul reminds Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable. Gentle. Showing humility to all men. Speaking to Timothy, Paul writes these words in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men... For kings and all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. In all godliness and reverence. And Peter in chapter 2, his epistle, his first epistle, gives us the following instructions. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king is supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. 
For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Proverbs 29, 26 says that many seek the ruler's favor. But justice for man comes from the Lord. Many seek the ruler's favor. But listen, the Bible says justice for man comes from the Lord. And I found it interesting that justice is the first item mentioned in the preamble to the Constitution. That was sort of an interesting connect. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish what? Justice. Establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility. Promote general welfare. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And the 45th president will take an oath of affirmation upon coming into office. Which will go something like this, if not verbatim. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's what the oath says. Before they come on board, that's the precursor to coming on board as President of the United States of America. To the best of my ability, I'm going to faithfully carry out the office of President and I'm going to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Friends, we've already talked about where they stand in regard to that issue. The point of emphasis in this election keeps coming back to the Supreme Court. Many items one could point to, many hobby horse platforms you might be inclined to stand upon, there are many opportunities to eliminate both candidates. Amen? I mean, there are. The who is highly questionable this time around. But the what is key. What's at stake? What's at stake for you and your family and the generations to come? Who is going to appoint the next Supreme Court justices for this nation? And what will America reap from those appointments? What are you going to do about what God has to say? Let your voice be heard. Please don't be silent. Vote, pray, and continue to pray 
our leaders, whoever it is that gets elected, our leaders need our prayers. We spent much time this morning talking about the who and talking about the what. I'd like to just conclude by putting it back here for just a moment. Yes, we have a responsibility to vote. Yes, we're called in scriptures to pray. But as I mentioned earlier, this country is where it is in large part, not because of a particular person in leadership or a group of nine judges on a bench. This country is where it is today because the people in this country have chosen to walk in their own way and not in the ways of the Lord. And what's called for on our end, I believe, is repentance. I want to leave you with this verse. It's a familiar verse, but so appropriate and so applicable to us as we think about Tuesday, as we think about the days ahead, as we think about our responsibility before Almighty God. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name. Now as you hear those words, you have to decide, you have to determine if you are one of his people. Are you one called by his name this morning? If they will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There's something that needs to change. It's not simply humbling and praying. It's also turning from our wicked ways. If, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Listen to what God says here. Then I will hear from heaven. That's long distance hearing, friends. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I read that and rejoice over the the thought of healing that needs to take place in this land in so many ways, in so many areas. And it begins right here, I believe. The people of God actually living and operating as the people of God. Humbling ourselves. Praying to God turning from our wicked ways, our rebellious ways, our stiff-necked ways. I'm using the terms of the Scripture. And the promise is that He will hear from heaven, will forgive our sin, and will heal our land. That's good news. And I'm grateful that that the Lord of heaven has given to us and revealed to us His word of truth. He set us apart by the word, and the word is truth. 
we have the word of truth. And I pray as you go to the polls on Tuesday that you take with you the knowledge of God's truth with you and realize the point of emphasis for this coming election and realize that there are a lot of things that can be said about the who, the two candidates. I want to encourage you to look at the what and ask yourself, what's at stake in this year's election? And then go and vote. And keep on praying. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for the message, Lord, that you've communicated to us through your word. You've not left us in the dark on the kinds of people you would desire to have in place in leadership. You've not left us in the dark on what you're after on what it is to lead well. You've not kept us in the dark in terms of how we as a citizen of these United States ought to live. You've not kept us in the dark about how we as citizens of a heavenly kingdom ought to be living here in these days that you've given to us. Father, you have revealed to us your truth. And I pray that as a church... We would not put your truth up on the shelf and then go and and take part in a voting election this Tuesday thinking somehow they are disconnected. For Father, you have ordained and put in place marriage and family, the church and the civil government itself. You oversee it all. So Father, you have spoken quite clearly about these things in your word. And you've given to us, Lord, instruction. I pray, Lord, we would take heed to your word. Impress upon us, Lord, I pray, as your people, what's at stake here? And I pray, Lord, that as we go to the polls on Tuesday, we go having sought you, having sought wisdom from you, having sought understanding from you. And Lord, we just give this to you, understanding that you are the one who appoints leaders into place. Thank you for allowing us to have a voice in this. May our voice be your voice. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.